what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. If you are enjoying these episodes, of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that bell so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Today, I'll be talking with Dave Coggin. Dave was a former major league player, a first round pick in the 95 draft, pitched for three different teams in the big leagues, is now the owner of PFA Baseball in California, runs an amazing development program. So, we're going to have some fun talking about what he does talk about the mental game. And of course, if you are looking for any additional help, check out my personal development mental skills course at mentaledge.training. Enjoy this call with Dave Coggin. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to piece it together, now correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't we, we were on the same area code team, is that right? That's, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's we were. Um, I think so, yeah, that was a, um, that was a weird, like whole world for me because I was in football mostly at that time mm -hmm. and then uh, I didn't know what area code was and some dude said hey um, you should try out for this thing and right. I literally hadn't played a baseball I had a, <laughs> hadn't played a game all summer or nothing I was just doing football and right. I somehow made this team and, and then I go down and I see all these dudes I'm like damn there's good players all right here yeah it, was, we didn't I don't think any of us knew like how big the area coach was it was kind of pretty new a right. couple years into it I think and yeah, and heck, we had Jimmy Rollins. I mean, there's some really good players yeah. that ended up on that team. And and uh, I'm sure for you, that it blew up for, for me after that, you know. Oh, and, that was huge, you know, yeah. I hadn't committed to school yet, and all types yeah, of things too. happened. So now yeah. it's now if you don't go into area codes oh. committed already, you're like, oh, yeah. this what, you mean underclass area codes. <laughs> right, right. If you're not committed. A little different now. Oh, um, those are all. Uh, have you seen um, my invention um, that I'm no. about to roll out? Yeah, I'll no. have to text you that. Um, yeah, I, I actually, uh, so the uh, the concept of the pocket path is something you're so familiar with because you probably never even thought about it for a second. You just threw the ball because I always pattern all my pitcher's habits as a be a shortstop. Okay. So, so I'm always like, dude, a shortstop can go play any position on the field. And not just because his arm is strong, but he's accurate and the arm is strong, and he can do things in a short amount of space and throw the ball hard and accurate. So that's what a pitcher does all the time. Yeah. So, so then I, I, when I started to look at, like, the top pitchers ever in the game, the ones that had the longest career, not, like, just really good, really short careers, but just really long careers, they all were shortstops or quarterbacks when they were younger. And then they all looked similar in the way the sequence of the arm path works. So if you shortstop, you know, you, you grab the ball. Without thinking about it, you catch – you turn, the elbow leads, the ball follows, and it's just a whip. That's right. what a whip does, right? right? So when when I was looking at how they teach kids all the time, you know, when they're younger, is the cobra drills and all these things, is the big problem with that is they become what, what's called ball dominant. So they take the ball up there quick, and then they drop the elbows, and they do all kinds of things. The sequences are all crazy, especially if they're just a pitcher. Right. Because then they're doing that drill all the time. They're doing these rocker drills. They're doing all these things, and they're just becoming ball dominant. Then I saw the, the, the weighted ball phenomenon starting to come where everybody was kind of taking the ball inside their ears and just doing a lot of pronation work drills they're they're doing that with almost every one of their drills so then all of a sudden they became ball dominant in a different way right. and I was just like what are we missing here something's not right <laughs> and um and I just started looking and, and thinking like what do the shortstops do when they play catch like what, no one teaches a shortstop really how to throw they, they teach you like everything else like anticipation mm -hmm. ground balls uh blah, blah blah all this different stuff but rarely are you guys like doing drills for throwing 
yet all you guys throw exactly the same. And then I thought to myself, well, everybody throws the same. If you tell them, like, hey, flip a ball to them and just throw as quick as you can and act as you can, they just grab it, the whoop, whoop, boom. And I just, just started throwing the arm path right. like an athlete. So I started throwing the arm. So then I started seeing the patterns develop where the sequence was the elbow was always following the hand or the, uh, the hand was always following the shoulder, the elbow, and all in a sequence, right? It's just one smooth sequence. Like the ball was the last thing. So then that's what I started kind of teaching. And once I started teaching that, it was fixing like all these young kids who weren't super strong to do it wrong. And I always say like relievers, no reliever had this, you know, dilemma where a coach looked at him and said, you know, man, you throw four pitches for strikes. You get stronger as the game goes. You stay healthy. You have the hardest, uh, strongest arm on the team. Let's make you a reliever. <laughs> Nobody does that, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. You become a you become a reliever for negative reasons, most likely. You get lefties out, but not righties out. You you get through the lineup one time good, but not the, the second, third. Uh, you get injuries all the time. Your velocity dies down. You have one pitch, but you don't have really have anything else after that. So like, there's all these like more negative reasons. So I said, you know what? Get I'm not even gonna look at those guys. I want to look at the dudes that get $300 million, $200 million, 20-year careers. And then you started seeing like, oh, they're, they're, there's lots of money. They aren't so different anymore. And yeah. just like the shortstops were, were you know, I know you, as an eye of a shortstop, you probably can see a lot of, you, you know, subtleties. But just as a general hole, if you take a ball in the backhand in the back in, in the hole and you have to plant and throw the ball without a shuffle or anything, you will do every, – every shortstop will do exactly the same thing. Yeah. And they'll block the front leg. They'll get that arm path, which is what we call the pocket, and you'll fire that thing, and the landing is the stick. That's the block, lead leg blocking. So that's what we started to base it off of because pitchers have to do that every pitch. They don't get the crow hop. They don't get the shuffle. They just have one little leg kick and go. So that's kind of like where it started. So then that, that – so I worked with this guy um, who was a pitcher in J Japan, older guy who's really kind of a, you know, smart guy who has an um, entrepreneur kind of type of mindset. And he goes – he goes, have you ever thought about making something that people, parents can take home? Because it's like, man, after listening to what you just worked on with my son, I was just thinking, and I go to literally practice like right after that. And I was like watching just the crap that was out there. And I go, oh my God, these, these parents need something. These coaches need something. And so anyway, I said, yeah, you know, I had this idea where if you think of a quarterback, remember in, in cold weather, he has that kind of belt on that has that pouch, right? Okay. So I've always thought like if you put a baseball in that pouch and then you took it out, and through the ball on one motion, it guides you. You can't do it. You can't take it this way. You can't take it that way. It'll go one motion, and you can just angle it. So you angle it about a 45-degree angle and just go up and throw. Okay. And, and it was just like such a simple idea. And then he was like, well, what about a shirt that actually you can wear uh, that has Velcro, basically the pile, they call it, all over the front of the chest so you can put it anywhere. So you have the sleeve. So I have a sleeve. And it's just on your arm. And then you can just go, go through your motion like you're taking a ground ball to your belly. And then you just take your hand out of it. But that will stay there. So now you have this cylinder sleeve that's perfectly now angled to where it was comfortable for you because you just took that ground ball. And now you just put your hand in it. And then you start doing drills. And now you do all your light and low intent plyo ball drills that we do. You do dry work, whatever it is. But you start ingraining this pattern of fluidness rather than this stop pattern which was a camera that took a picture of a baseball card or a magazine picture. It wasn't a stop position. It was a freaking camera center that took that. Right. So that fluid thing is not where you want to get a player to stop. You want that. It, my hand gets there, but it gets there in a fluid motion. It doesn't yeah. stop. 
so that's kind of what we, you know, we created. And I've had it, I'm sure there's about six, seven teams that now are using my prototypes. And um, I mean, I've always used it. So it's a ton, the hundreds of players have used it. It's like ridiculously simple and, and right. very, very effective. I'll send you a video. It's, it's, uh, no, that's great. Cause I, the videos that I've watched, I, I sit there and, because, you know, as a scout, mm -hmm. we sit there and analyze arm swings and arm path and how long, short, medium strokes, mm -hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. And I, I would agree, like, when it's just kind of, you might get a full circle out of it, but it's mm -hmm. it's just kind of short and, it, and it's – Yeah, it's just goes, fluid, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fluid. It's the key. The key to the pocket is, is, the, is where the elbow is when hips start to rotate and where the ball is relative to that. So mm -hmm. what happens is guys will stab out you know, cause they're pushing off. So they'll stab out or they'll come right back. So you'll take a picture and go, oh, okay, the elbow's right here, but they're, oh, look, their knees collapsing or their body's too far forward. Their body is too big to do something different. It does literally the same thing every time. It's a mm -hmm. huge, big mess. It's the arm that gets us kind of like, it, it takes our vision away from it because if you got rid of that, he would have been here. But by the way, he would have been here with his weight, but because he's doing this, then coming here, you look at it on the computers and you go, oh yeah, he's, he's late. He's way, he's, his, his weight is way right. far forward. Hey, right. stay back, son. You need to stay back. He didn't need to stay back. He needed to get here on time. So he needed to get rid of wasted movement. And you won't believe how many people I see that, that fix a, fix the arm path and not to be short or anything. It's not, everyone thinks uh, cause I worked with Joe Kelly and he made such a big difference. It's, it's not even close to what Joe Kelly is what we really teach. I have hundreds of other pitchers that look nothing like Joe Kelly, but are just as successful that, it's only because we're creating a habit like you guys do in shortstops is you always get your elbow in the right position and throw. Like you don't even know you're doing it. You just do it. Mm -hmm. You can be jumping. You could be running forward. You could be anything. But your body knows when my hips start to open to rotate to throw, my arm better be right here. That's, that's just repetition that you've never thought about. Yeah. So that's why I give those kind of like athletic drills. But not. But mistake is like most teams do is they – they give you the athletic drills. It's, oh, I've, I've hit that picture, like 100 ground balls. He looks amazing at shortstop, and he throws the ball beautifully. And then you get him on the mound, and he's back to doing this because you never told him why. <laughs> right. He just knows, yeah, that felt better. And you go, hey, it looks better. Why? Like, what is the reason? And then now can you set up drills that I can do before I go waste a bunch of crappy warm-up throws? You know, I, I say that about pitchers all the time. Is they Imagine the hitting coach going down and, telling the um, hitting groups, he says, Chad, you're in group one. You're going to, uh, you're going to hit uh, at um, on Thursday at three o'clock uh, with those four guys. Hey, you guys, you're going to be in group two. I want you hitting on Friday at two uh, 30 and then, um, and then blah, blah, blah. You go down the list and then you, you walk away and everybody's looking at each other. Well, what the hell? Wait, what do we do on all the other days? And he goes, Oh, my bad guys, just go down the left field line and take the worst swings possible every day. Right. Sounds like what pitchers do every day when they yeah. go warm up and then they throw a bullpen with a coach once a week. Like, <laughs> freaking with, no, with no plan in between. No, right. it's backwards. It's all backwards. So we just try to, we try to fill that, just give them a plan that, that's individual for them. But it, has a, but it has a foundation of what do the best do that play the longest, you know? And what's your interpretation of it? Because your interpretation can be a little bit different, subtle differently, but you better be in that two position Hips are the three, four is a layback. That's what we kind of call it. So it's just a sequence, it's just timing a sequence. It's all the pocket is. Whether you're a longer arm guy, whether you're a really short compact guy, it doesn't matter to me. It's just, are you in the right position? It's super easy to see because we, 
that's where we say with the stick in your landing, the sticking of your landing becomes the barometer of how well are you timed. So when I see a guy who can plant on front foot, throw the ball, and he just has, and that foot stays there for a longer time, like there's, there's something you can see as you see over and over if you watch it, the front foot plants and stays there. That means he's got beautiful timing. He's in the right spot. He's almost become like a pole vulture that's put that pole right in the right spot to where it stays, but the rest of the body is gaining, gaining energy, getting energy, and then making a gold medal jump. If it kind of slides or if it stays real, it's just real quick and goes, then essentially that pitcher is mistimed somewhere and that front leg, 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 that lead leg will tell you where to go back in the chain and start to look. And typically, if you look at the arm path, that'll be your first clue. Not, not everything, it'll be just first because once that's checked off the list, I just move down the list of now, okay, arm path looks good. I don't know, okay, good, that's good. Then I'll start going, okay, what's the lower half? What's the hips doing? Where's his weight? All that. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's an easy fix. But if I try to fix the stuff over there on the end first and then gone back to see, it'd be like you trying to, to fix a guy's hips and a hitter, but yet he's stabbing his arm around and doing all this crazy stuff before. <laughs> it's like you would go, no, 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 no. Or a golfer, right? You never would right. see a golfer have a, a thousand different odd things and just say, oh, everybody does it differently. That's just how he was born. No, that's how you become a reliever. Or yeah. – you know, or your career is short. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So did you, for you yourself, did you recognize that as what, while you were playing or did you do it automatically or did that come mm-hmm. late? Totally after. Yeah, no, it was way after. In fact, now when I look at my, my delivery, which was when I was told I had great mechanics, great mechanics. And I look at it and I go, ah, oh, it looks pretty, but there are some big misses. I would push my hand around away. I would never want guys to do that. So I would become late into the pocket. So I'd have a, what would look on the appearance, a good arm path from all the football throwing, all that stuff I thrown. But, but because some reason I was always trying to push here and drop down and drive, I was creating more time. And then by the time I got my arm back up, I'm way late, put stress on my shoulder, two shoulder surgeries, short career. Mm. So I see, I, I know that really easily now. So no, not till I started you know, way after, um, first thing it got me thinking of mechanics, but it wasn't anything to do with the pocket was I was down at USC and I was the, um, uh, basically, a, um, intern or whatever you want to call it with, uh, Tom house and his, uh, brand new RDRBI stuff. And the only thing I was doing down there and I never met him before, but someone said he needed help and I had just been released. So I went down there and he knew my quarterback background. So he was working with a lot of quarterbacks. So I was down there working with some of the guys down there, Tom Brady and Alex Cox or Alex Smith and some of these dudes. And, and then they had the Indian kids that came from India and they did the movie yeah. about the million dollar arm, all that. So I was their coach for that summer. And what it got me thinking was like biomechanics and slow motion analysis. And I didn't per se have all the same things that I thought were what he was doing uh, with Tom, but I was like thinking more like, you know, I'm just going to start thinking a little harder here and just, start doing a little of my own homework and just think, and I've always been kind of a common sense guy. So I think that's what's been hard about playing major league baseball <laughs> when you have common sense, it's hard to be around. So, um, so I think, I think just kind of like it just, I wanted to not question everything, but just, I wanted to forget everything in a sense, and then just kind of go out and learn some more and learn about the body. I started PFA that way because it was PFA wasn't a travel ball team for 10 years of this. Um, it's only last six months it's been a travel ball team. But what it was was a strength training uh, facility for getting athletes rotationally stronger and using 
a different concept, a different way of doing it, which a lot of people do it now, but um, that was the, the genesis of it. So then knowing all those things, certain things didn't make sense because I knew more about, bio, about the physical biomechanics now. So learning it was, was kind of almost relearning everything. That's interesting. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can learn after you're done playing, right? If you, yeah, if you're willing to, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Be, Absolutely. Be, being open mm -hmm. to all the new info. So, so PFA, now what does PFA stand for? Yeah, preparation, fitness, and attitude. Uh, but it was prevention fitness for athletes was the original thing. Um, so I, I got done playing. I was one of those players, like everybody knows that the story. Uh, I had surgery, came out of surgery, was throwing four or five miles an hour harder than I was before surgery. So when I got done playing, I was like, well, I, everybody kind of knows why. I mean, you're doing so much more physical therapy, which is like the smaller muscle groups, the core more, you know, instead of the big beach body muscles now that you were just kind of doing just because, you know, how off seasons were, they just kind of give you a, a random program, but usually you just went to the gym and just, you know, worked out. Mm -hmm. So I created a plan that involved all those small muscle groups, all the band work, all the core work, medicine ball throwing, and which is super common now, like, the, but, the, but 10 years ago, this was very like, like different because the workouts were like 90 minutes because I knew I had to cover a lot of stuff. And I asked a friend of mine who was my therapist at a physical therapy, I said, can you, um, when you close at seven, can I come in at seven and take some athletes that are healthy and take them through a whole program? So uh, they were like, yeah, just go for it. So I did it. It grew from there, kept growing, grew out of that space, grew into another space. And then it just kind of, um, and then it just kind of went crazy when um, we decided to make teams. And the reason why I decided to make teams was I, the baseball in our area in Inland Empire is you always been known as a really hotbed of a lot of talent. And, and, and definitely it was when we were just getting going and for the last first seven, eight years, guys were training a lot. They were really putting a lot of time in the strength conditioning because we had a formula that nobody was doing. And, and it was fun too. We, we have a good time when we do it. So you had all these guys getting drafted and, and we had first round picks. We had D 30 to 40 D one uh, pitchers and, and fielders and position players in there, just tons of talent. Mm -hmm. And then travel ball at that point really was just a weekend thing. So we had all week, you know, they could get three workouts in, three lifts. Then tra one travel ball team started to work out uh, on a field on Wednesdays. So uh, we would clash because all their best players, I used to give them the best players or recommend, Hey, that's a good program. Go ahead and use go ahead and play there well now those really talented players were being asked hey by the travel team hey you got to come on wednesday well wednesday was our big lift day that was a really important <laughs> middle of the week day yeah well oh you know you know they would just guilt trip them and all this stuff so it was really it was just a pain in the butt well it was manageable but the problem was is that that team because they had a baseball field which was kind of a new concept everybody else started making a practice night and then of course what happens two practice we have two practices uh, on a field you know and of course you know these practices they're like 800 people on the field and, and so that's when the gym just got empty 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 and all these programs who have all these great you know on the surface oh we have the national champion blah 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 this who you know most likely had a dad that paid for the entire team to be the best players to fly in and play in tournaments right so we were i was like hey, this is a terrible and then you saw you started to see like yeah, not as many D1s, but some D2s. Oh, not as, not as many D2s either. Oh, D3s. Oh, and every now and again, you get a, you pop a draft pick somewhere around in here. But okay. not like when we before had 15, 16 draft picks each year for like five straight years up here. Mm -hmm. uh, then it was turning into a very 
five or six, you know, and, and it was just purely because they were being guilted into going to go to another batting cage at some place over in this city, a field at this city, another agility coach. Coach, so now they're adding twenty bucks to your to your monthly dues because they're bringing out a strength coach, which is just a former player who does agility work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just this whole spiral. And I was like, it's garbage. So then that's that's truly why I decided. I'm going to make my own teams because if I make my own teams and really I was going to just make like four or five close here, age groups up. And now I can tell them, I know Tuesday, Thursdays, you're in the weight room and Wednesdays you might be in the cage or maybe after you work out, you're in the cage. Uh, You're not going to just go out to field practices and just never work out. So when we did that, people jumped on it like crazy Mm -hmm. because parents knew, you know, like this doesn't feel right. Probably, you know, they're like, man, my kid's the skinniest kid out there. And, or a, player who has a really good son that's a really good player and he gets it he's like i don't need all these practices like this i need to i need to get my boy in the in working out because he's smart he's 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 paid attention he's listened to scouts and so we felt like we could give the best of both worlds and that's kind of where we're at right now is just trying to develop a mindset and it's really been cool because our young younger teams are really getting it because they they're sixth seventh eighth graders and they don't drive, you know, they're, they don't know everything in the world like the sophomore and junior and seniors do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're building those guys mindsets to go, dude, I'm not missing the day in the gym. I love it. You know? So it's been really cool to see it's been a big change, I think. And I think that the talent is going to show it um, in the next probably two or three years back up here, rather than it just be a bunch of, you know, stud freshmen and I'll fizzle out. Right. You know, it, it, I've seen it, seen it for years because these, these travel ball teams, just don't value the workouts. They, 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 they value the um, membership numbers is really what they value championships and things. That, that tournament, it's every like two or two tournaments a month type thing. Yeah. Let's say need. I mean, I get it. That's, that's competition. It's fun, but, but uh, it sometimes is um, it's, it's uh, if they knew really the conversations that uh, the, the, the head people, the people in charge were really having, you know, off the field about how, how can we get this kid developed? How could we get better? You know, that's not the questions a lot of them are having. They're just, they're just like, man, oh, how do we get another kid on the team? How can we start another team? It's, it's a, it's an interesting racket that I'm just being uh, thrown into for the first time. No. And they're getting crazy. Like we have a lot of teams now, and I'm, and I'm just like, they got to the Zoom now because before this, I was like, how do I control this? Because <laughs> right. how do I have my message be distributed everywhere? Because I get this all the time when you like, just like you said, like, Oh, we played one of your teams. And I'm like, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Like, Oh God, is this going to be good or bad? <laughs> Cause I don't even, it went so fast. There's like 30 right. teams overnight. And I'm like, Oh crap, please tell me we have some, some people who know what PFA started as and what it's about. And not all of them do, but they're, they're getting that. This zoom is going to help us. Cause we can have these coaches meetings yeah, all cool. over the city, the state, the country, hopefully in, in, in some point. So. No, that's good. Yeah, because you, obviously you, you want to build something that can give all aspects of the game, the weight training, yeah, mental mm-hmm. side, the practices, and just put it all together. And yeah. as a parent, that's all you can ask, right? It's just get it all together, and have the right people around it. That's, that's so awesome. So yeah. let's talk about you as a player. You know, I, want, I wanted you to share your story about how you got drafted, what the Meyer Leagues was like, what struggles did you go through? You know, we're, we're, we're getting people to open up about, Hey, this is a really hard game. You know, yeah. what, what did you go through that, you know, just kind of tell your story. Yeah. I well, so I was drafted out of high school. Um, and going back a little further, I was a football, mostly football, soccer guy. So mm-hmm. those two sports were my, my bigger sports. Baseball was always a 
fun sport. I was really, I was good at it still, but I wasn't like the best at it or anything. Um, football was more of a street game where I played all the time. Got to high school, tried out for the football team, um, made the football team, but you know, it was new to me. I never played Pop Warner. So I was, I was kind of a, um, a third string quarterback and just kind of on freshman team. They ran, they ran the wishbone and all these different things. So I didn't, you know, I was a thrower. So I just, you know, stuck, stuck back, learned and got stronger and all that. Then I went to soccer. Soccer, I was really natural at. So I was really good at that. So that was my best sport. So I played soccer. Then um, baseball, had a good baseball season. And then my sophomore year, all over the summer, we had a new football coach come in. He threw the ball a lot. So I ended up making varsity and doing a lot of good things in football, became kind of on the map football. And then that took over because football so you know, time consuming. So that took over a lot. Baseball was still there. I was still good, but I was having to kind of squeeze out soccer. So by my senior year, I committed to Clemson as a quarterback uh, for football. And then by late in the year, I kind of came on really late, kind of what we talked about before about area codes. No one really knew who I was mm-hmm. on the baseball side of things. I was, I was more known for football. So during hell week, I would, I would practice in the morning, come down, play at a game at area codes, then go back and practice my second practice for hell week <laughs> for football. And in between all that, I'd never lifted a wood, wooden bat or anything. I went down there and I got a, you know, a couple of hits and threw on the mound and I, and I hadn't even pitched a bullpen and, you know, who knows when. So right. I was just throwing footballs everywhere, but I ended up doing really well. And then all of a sudden everybody in baseball knew like, whoa, who's this guy on, on there? So that kind of really blossomed and took off. Um, then my senior year, of course, uh, June came around. I got drafted by the Phillies and signed to go Philadelphia, skipped, skipped football, skipped college. And then, um, and, and then in my senior year, I did tear my MCL, my knee. So that played a huge role in my direction to go play baseball. So uh, without that injury, I'd probably be playing football. And Clemson would have had a lot more national championships, by the way, by then. So. Yeah, no, but anyway, so it all worked out good. I, so anyway, but the thing, I go to minor leagues, and as you know, it's a, a absolute kind of slap in the face when you're out there and you're, you're playing all these games. You got coaches and players around you that are college kids and uh, coaches that are salty and, you know, already kind of maybe have a little in it in a little bit of dig on you because you're your first round pick and you know they already some coaches are really cool about it some other ones are kind of testing you and some other ones just don't like you mm-hmm. and um and you have to navigate through all those different things and and i had trouble doing that in single a in um was it carolina uh, south atlantic league in kannapolis um where i was really struggling I had a pitching coach that just was couldn't have been a worse guy in my life um <laughs> and it wasn't because he was trying to teach me any lessons. He was just a bad dude. So, right. you know, is this one of the guys that would just, yeah, it does. It yeah. does. Um, and so, and then combine that with pitching poorly, combine that with growing in Macon, Georgia and Columbus, Georgia <laughs> in the summertime <laughs> and Augusta, as you know, those, yeah. and how hot it is. And being in the South, I was in, oh, by the way, my roommate was Ricky Williams, which you remember uh, the running back, Texas and Miami and New Orleans. So he would go back and, and play football and then he'd come back in the summer and play with us. So then I would throw the football to him to get him ready to go back to football. And, you know, a combination of all those things, I was just like, God, you know, is this the right decision I made? So there was a, just a come to Jesus moment in, uh, in uh, Macon, Georgia, where I had, to, I had to run 36 poles because I, I gave up, a, well, I had an O2 pitch and a hitter made contact on it. He fouled it off. 
and that pitching coach just blew off his lid and, and said, we never, you know, we never let anybody touch an O2 pitch. You need to bury that thing. And, you know, and it was a, one of those things that was, I was trying to, I made a mistake. Right. He didn't hit it or anything, but, um, the coach at the end, they gave me 36 poles and, uh, and I'm just, I get the, and I, and I was a hard worker. So I ran those poles freaking hard as I ever, I ran the last one, just ran as hard as I did the first one. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go to the hospital later for dehydration and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking, I said, when I got back to the hotel, I was like, I just called the GM or the, the manager. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go play football because you know there's a lot of fans that were Clemson fans that were still trying to get me to go and play football they're like hey man play some football <laughs> out there in the south and, right. and uh so I thought maybe I made a wrong decision so I, I I made that night I said I'm gonna give money back and I'm gonna go play football and Roy Matika our, our manager you know he was got freaked out obviously <laughs> you know you don't want the first round pick to be saying this I realize right. that now right. and uh and he called the the GM and they got on the phone conference call and just said hey listen man we we put you up there to fail for this year. Don't worry. You're, we don't expect you to do good. You're playing against guys that are older than you and you're raw and just, you're doing exactly what we're supposed to do. And when he heard that from people above, finally, you know, because he, all, all I was around was just negativity. Yeah. Once you finally heard from someone above you, who was, who was the boss of that guy and guys around you that, you know, maybe weren't the best soldiers or, or teachers, it just kind of like, took a huge weight off my shoulders and I actually finished off really good in the season and, and, um, and, and stuck with it. And it was just one of those moments that stands with me for a long time because it's, it's not just perseverance or anything, but it was a learning lesson to know that, that not only if you keep working hard, it's going to, you're going to, you're meant to be there. You're supposed to be there. There's a reason why you were drafted there. Um, but it was more about there, there was other people that cared for you that wanted you to do well and succeed. And that was, I think that was the most important piece of that. Yeah, it's tough when you, you know, I, the coaches have different ways of teaching you, right? Whether they're trying to motivate you, make you work harder, but when they when they're not behind you and you know they yeah. don't have your back, that's that's a whole different animal. Yeah, and that was always different. I mean, it, I've had I'm a I'm from football and soccer, so I mean, you have these. I've had baseball coaches are cake, you know, piece of cake for any of that stuff. Yeah, you're right. This was a different type of just aura and just negativity that just took all the fun out of baseball and just took it. And then, so going forward, okay, so I get to, had an injury, shoulder surgery a year or two later um, in double A, battling through that. It was tough. Finally got surgery, came back and felt like I had a new lease on life and um, went from double A to the big leagues and, um, you know, pitching there for about two plus years or so. And then I had another injury in the shoulder, um, which, at that time, it was a labrum surgery that I had at the beginning, did it, came back stronger than I ever did. The next surgery I had was a labrum again. And this goes back to like what I was telling you earlier. Now I know why I had those problems, even though right. nobody was kind of addressing any of those. But once I had that surgery, that second one, I got down to the surgery, doctor came in, said, hey, surgery went great. Uh, your old repair looks, looks great. Uh, this new repair looks solid, did the same thing. But we did this new procedure, which was a capsule shrinkage of the shoulder. So where they take the shoulder and they think it's too loose. So what they do is they kind of take a little hot wand, like like almost taking a little fire to Reynolds wrap, <laughs> and they just scorch you, and it, and it just sits there like that, right? So he's describing this, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, yeah, it should be should be good. It'll be maybe a month longer on your rehab, but uh, we we think this would be a really good thing for your shoulder. So I'm like, well, what are you gonna see the doctor? Yeah. And 
man, that was the worst. I was like a guinea pig for it. I didn't realize that that was like one of the first time they did that. And then they did it for about six months of baseball players and it ruined everybody's career, all of them. And then uh, before they knew it, they had, they had to stop that surgery. So I just happened to be in that window and, um, and I never could recover from that surgery, no matter how hard I worked. So that kind of led me to the passion that I, that I had after though, and got me into what was then called PFA prevention fitness for athletes. Cause I had this passion, this desire to, to try to get kids not to get injured. And that was the big deal. And then that's how I got into it all. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I went through the same thing. I, my downfall was the labrum surgery as an outfielder and, I had that and it was not even close to the same, you know, it's, yeah. guys can deal with Tommy John. We're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of mm -hmm. success with it. Still a, yeah. a horrific surgery. You know, when people talk about, oh, I'll just get Tommy John just to get it out of the way. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's about crazy. let's just stay healthy first, figure out oh, how to stay healthy and get the workouts behind it. And so that's awesome. So, when you were when you were in the big leagues, now you probably mm -hmm. pitched with the likes of like Kurt Schilling. Yeah. I would mm -hmm. imagine guys like that. Were there any of those type of guys that kind of took you under your wing and mm -hmm. taught you about about the big leagues? How, how do I pitch him? Yeah. Game? Yeah, Kurt Kurt Schilling was good. Um Mike Grace was another guy who was really good. Not Mark Mike Grace, uh no relation, but um there there some guys are more, you know, they're more animated about it. Some guys you know, they, they kind of give you the, the opening to come in and, you know, be a part. Hey, come, come run with me. Or, you know, it may not say anything to you. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's go throw. And they may not say a word to you, but you know, that's their way of showing you how it's done. And I think that's a real powerful way of doing it as well, rather than just being the more vocal, um, Hey, call you out if you're not doing something right. Um, get, get, get on your back too much. I mean, so there's, there's different levels of it. I think, some of those really good players, Scott Rowland was a great example of that. Um, you know, just a very quiet guy that just went about his work and did it better than anybody and never made a really big, you know, big production about anything, but he just spoke without speaking. And he was one of those guys that, you know, Hey David, want to uh, go grab a little Chinese food up here, up the street. It's a really good spot that I like going. And you're like, Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, Scott Rowland at dinner, man. I'm right. Rookie. So, um, and, you know, didn't even talk about it much at all about like, uh, you know, leadership or anything or how to be a big leaguer. It was just more like, the, I think the best ones really just show you that they just kind of live that life so they don't need to say it. And I feel like that's a, that, that's one of those things that gets lost sometimes. And, you know, talk about travel ball world is that there's, you know, you gotta, you gotta show what you want your kids to be off the field. You gotta be, you gotta live that life not only when you're just yelling at them to hustle out a ball or wear the uniform correctly or show up on time. I, so many coaches don't do any of those things. And I think that's like a big missing link that, that we see it nowadays is that there's just so many teams that you don't get that as much. You don't get those kind of um, those lessons learned, so to speak. Uh, it's almost like the players have to teach themselves nowadays. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And when you can have a, a player, I, I, there's so much to be said that when you have an older player that just takes you and say, Hey, let's go to dinner, you know, and, and you don't even have to talk mm -hmm. about baseball. You talk about yeah. life, but there's something about that, that they're kind of opening that door. It says, okay, you belong here. You know, mm -hmm. cause sometimes you need, I, I know I needed that reassurance cause I, I struggled big time, you know, in that area. I'm like, do I even, am I even good enough to play here? And I think that's mm -hmm. what most people go through 
They, they, or they have to wait to have that success, right? Yeah. I have to get those couple hits first. I got to get that win or those few strikeouts. So yep. then, then, then I'll believe I, I belong here. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you are – now you have a facility, right? And are you continuously upgrading is what I've been seeing with that. Yeah. So our big thing right now is um, adjusting to this, yeah, this virus. So yeah. um, the big thing that we got going on right now that I'm really, really excited about and it's already kind of catching on is this uh, indoor – collegiate uh, summer league yep. so we've we've thought that i don't know if summer is going to be able to be the, the same this summer uh, with college in respect to college players finding their summer ball teams and being able to start on time i don't none of them are going to start on time they've been pushed back to july 1st some have been canceled so we thought we have a huge facility we have this um, ability to convert our cage area into a huge um, one-on-one pitcher versus hitter uh, area, we'll get live streaming, really nice, high high level live streaming, very good high depth. Be able to at your home computer zoom in on the on the hitter, on the pitcher, and all all of it overlaid with the Rapsodo numbers. Yeah. And we're going to have all the data that's going to be created there. So we've created teams, and the nice part is we're going to create. Hopefully, we have eight teams is our goal. Maybe we get up to sixteen if we're able to get a good traction here, but you get each team has nine pitchers and four hitters, uh, including the catcher. And you play three games a week. You have three pitchers pitch each day. So you're going to go three innings, three innings, three innings. So that's going to allow us to keep the numbers low so we can continue to do social distancing and make sure everybody's spread out. So it's only going to be seven people on one team, seven people on the other. And that's it. That's the only people that are going to be there besides some of the people that are running the, the day-to-day. We'll have an umpire. Um, and we'll we'll go we'll be able to get live abs. We'll be able to control the innings. We'll be able to control the at bats. We'll be able to uh, not worry about a team uh, not fielding a, a good player behind the plate for a pitcher who you know now has to throw half his speed just to make sure he doesn't get a pass ball on him. You know we all know these summer ball situations. We're scouting long enough to know these things. So now now we can control it, and then scouts can come to it or they can just tune in, uh, look at the roster, see who's throwing, who's hitting. And uh, then there's the other dynamic of all these pro players that are going to be looking to try to get some live ABs, live innings. So we're going to open it up to the pro players as well. So um, we haven't really mentioned that out uh, publicly. This is the first time I've kind of talked about it publicly here. But if there's players that need to be seen or draft guys that just haven't pitched in a while and teams need to see them and they've been staying in shape, they want to get some ABs, they want to go against some top top end pitchers. Uh, This just it just seems like it's just going to be tough to find fields college. Yeah, college teams and high school teams, they have to play on campuses. And I don't know if campuses are going to be really excited about opening up for baseball tournaments and games before they've actually had students on them. I just don't, I don't see it. Yeah. It's going to be to take that responsibility, right? If in case something did happen, the liability that happens with yeah. that. Yeah, so that all this stuff. yeah. That's a great opportunity though for guys. Cause I, you know, you talk to the, the local players and they're, they're just itching, you know, they lost their yeah. season. They're like, oh, I wish I just had some type of way to yeah. go out. And, and as a hitter, you're like, if I haven't faced live pitching and then I got to go and, and wait another, maybe it's a couple months to the summer. Maybe it's not even mm-hmm. in the fall. Um, right. So like yeah. the juniors that are going to be seniors, right. They're, they're going to, they're kind of screwed in a way. <laughs> yeah, totally. hundred percent. You know, 100%. so it's, it's kind of an interesting scenario. Well, that's awesome, man. Is that something that you could possibly do 
live? Like you have different camera angles and things like that? Oh yeah, everything is live. Um, everything is gonna be, gonna be doing it with, um, with uh, data live and pitching live and hitting live. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be two teams playing against each other and then you'll never play the same team twice. So it's a good schedule. It's very, hitters are gonna, hitters are gonna benefit the most. Those are the people who need, we have to get the word out to because they're gonna get, they may get 240 at bats in eight weeks. It's an eight week right. season. So they're literally going to get almost half the bats they wouldn't have a, a freaking whole pro season. Um, yeah. So you can imagine they're going to be able to see probably seven to nine at bats per game. That's, That's awesome. And if you're a player listening to this, where, like, is there somewhere yeah. they go to sign up for it? How does that all work? So they can follow, uh, they can go to my Instagram. I got my personal Instagram is PFA Strong One, but we also just created an Instagram for that exactly. It's called PFA Indoor League, and they can go there, get information. The website's um, pfafitness.com is where you can get to the link. I think that, I don't know the whole link of the, uh, the whole, gosh, it's pfafitness.com slash indoor dash college is the, uh, is the uh, website. So, but you can go to the, my pfafitness.com page and find that super easy to get to. And then you'll be able to um, get all the information on there. We've listed all the different packages that you can get. You can just get a bones basic. Hey, I just want to get ABs. I don't care about rap soda. I don't care about video. I don't care about stream. I don't care any of that stuff. Um, you can do it that way. And then you can go to the silver package, which is just getting, now you get your rap soda data emailed to you. Uh, then you could get the whole thing. We get, there's a gym there. So we have a workout. So we can tailor the workouts for you. There's a whole three different options that uh, people are signing up for. And, and we've gotten, uh, good turnout already in just two days of, um, of announcing this. And, yeah. uh, and also we're going to have college, college coaches are going to be there too. So I'm, I'm, I've already got about three commitment for college coaches to be coaches. So uh, oh, nice. to give you that summer ball kind of feeling. So we've got coaches from uh, some of the local colleges that are going to be out there uh, just helping um, question, you know, just when the pitchers and hitters are throwing, you know, just kind of just like you're coming out and you're just having a conversation with a coach. So um, it's going to be neat. We're going to have a lot of things going to it. That's going to be, um, I don't think no one's done it before like this. So we're going to hopefully make it really, really good. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, you got to come up with the creativity of it, right. To, yeah. to get kids in a position and you know, they're heartbroken that they lost the season. And, and mm -hmm. I think we're about to find out at the time of this recording in the next day or two, uh, actually how many, how many rounds we have for this 2020 draft, you know, whether it's yeah. five or 10. And, uh, and then after that, it's a free agent you know, frenzy, if you will. Comment on another topic. Yeah. Right? If you're, a, crazy. If you're a junior in college and you don't be, become a top five round pick. And if that's a scenario, that, that's a tough situation. Oh, so take time. I know. Well, good, um, man. Well, Hey Dave, I, I, I yeah. we'll wrap up with, um, you know, just what would you say in regards to, you you pitched in the big leagues you know you, you had your battles you had your injuries you talk to kids every day what what's like your number one would you say message on the mental side of the game on the mental side of the thing um tim corbin we had on a couple of weeks ago he said it the best i think and he summed it up in just saying you have to care and if you care about everything not just baseball but you care about your looks, you care about what's for dinner, you care about how you train, you care about how you play, you care of your teammates. If you can use that word and use that in more than one topic or subject, I think you got a good chance of making this thing go. And when, when you do care and you find people that care back that know, know the game and know how to instruct 
and they put you in a good successful place. Don't forget that as you go up because just going up the ladder doesn't mean the coaches are getting better. The facilities might be, the cities might be, but it doesn't necessarily mean the coaching is going to always get better. So just know it as good as the coach teaching you knows it. And you'll be able to decipher what's good, what's bad information as you go further along in this career. That's great. Yeah, that's good stuff. Anytime you get any advice from him, that's pretty good stuff. So yeah, man. he's awesome. <laughs> he's awesome. awesome. Well, I'm excited for you and your growth, you know, with what you're doing with PFA baseball. And it's been cool. It's, it's been a long time. I can't even, I don't think we faced each other in the big leagues. If, if I'm not, I don't think minor leagues a yeah. long, long time ago. So it's been a long time. It's been fun Full following circle. you. Yeah. But I appreciate you coming on board with, with us today. Of course, man. Anytime. We'll talk to you, Chad. Okay, man. Have Thanks, a good day. Bud. We'll see you. See you. Bye. Great.